0: Thank you, team, for leading us today. And we are so glad uh, you're here today. Thank you, Francois, for opening the word last week. Didn't he do a great job for us? Elizabeth and I were away for a few days working, and then we got stuck in Chicago with a lot of things, and our flights were all canceled for two days, so we didn't make it back. Francois was gonna preach either way, and so that was good. We stayed at a hotel in downtown Chicago that was two blocks from the consulate of Ukraine, and so we went over there at a prayer vigil, and also there was a protest, and all kinds of things going on right there by our hotel, and so we were able to participate. And we thank you for all that you have done, and our partners around Eastern Europe thank you. Uh, Through uh, your efforts and efforts of Friends of the Church, over $95,000 has been raised so far for Ukraine. Thank you very, very much. It may be more than that now, that was as of Friday, who knows, the checks keep coming in and the online. So uh, it, it's whatever you give, we give away 100% and whoever we're giving it to gives it away 100%. It's, we're in humanitarian issues now and you've seen some videos and I'm sure we're gonna have some more as they come up. But thank you for that. Our brothers and sisters in Eastern Europe need uh, a touch from God, a touch from us, as well. So thank you for all you have done today and this week, the last couple of weeks. Uh, We're going to look in First John chapter 4 today, and we are going, this will be the last time we're in First John, because starting next week, we're going to start on Easter. We're a little ahead. We're going to spend six weeks talking about Easter. That's the few weeks leading up. And of course, Good Friday and Easter we'll have services and then the two weeks after. Usually we kind of parachute into Easter and then parachute back out. This year we wanna spend some time working on the things or the places that are around Easter and the importance of Easter. And so Matthew's gonna be helping me, Francois is gonna be helping me, Bill Hood's gonna be helping, myself. We're gonna be working together to bring the whole understanding of Easter together for us over the next few weeks. So today will be the last in 1 John, and then we will move into that, and then come back to 1 John sometime in early May if we could, if that's okay with you, and we'll do that. Um, I have brought up here a couple of things. I brought my phone up here today, which I never do. Everybody's phone should be off or silenced. But this is not a telephone, this is really a 100 other things. And one of the things it is, it's a GPS. Have you ever used your phone as a GPS? What I'd like you to do, it's not you who are here, but you who are online. If you have your phone near you, I want you to put your GPS on, and I want you to click it on and think about where it is because my GPS will be just like everybody in this room. This GPS tells me exactly where I'm at, right? I'm on 4th Avenue, I'm on the west side of 4th Avenue, I'm at 601 Northwest 4th Avenue, Boca Raton, 33432. If I clicked a button, it would say all that. And if you clicked a button, it would say all that as well. And those of you online all over the world that are listening, it'll say something else. Why? Why will ours say this and theirs say something else? Because the GPS is about me. The GPS tells me where I am. Can I just tell you, the Bible is not a GPS. All of us think the Bible is about me. The Bible is a compass that tells us, and if everyone listening all over the world, and we have people listening in probably 15 different countries right now, if they pulled out a compass it would do the exact same thing. It would show them one thing, and what is that? Where north is. South, east, west. No matter where you are, you can turn around, you can go across the street and go 1,000 miles from here, it'll still show north, south, east, and west. The Bible shows us and points us somewhere. Now, ultimately, it will also show us where we're at, but that is not the most important thing. And when we come to the Bible so many times, we open it up and go, God, where am I at? Or, you know, you don't even ask, say, God, where am I at? You just kind of go, where am I at? And I want to read the Bible, and I open it up, and you open it to some random place, and you say, I want to get something out of it today. Well, can I tell you, that is not the primary purpose of the Bible. The primary purpose of the Bible is to tell us about God. It is a book about God. It's not a book about Bill. Put your name in where I said Bill. It's not a book about you. Now, there's applications for us. It's important to us. It's the Word of God, but it is about God. Most primarily, it is to direct us to God as well, to show me that that is north. I can turn this way, and you know what? That's north. I can turn this way, and that's north. Any way I turn, and look in the scripture, it will tell me the exact way. And many times, we're afraid to do that. Today, what I wanna do is look in the scriptures, and we're gonna do a little different study today. Normally, I kinda go verse by verse, chapter by, you know, paragraph by paragraph. But in 1 John, 1 John repeats itself multiple times. So John says something, something then he says something else, then he says something else, then he comes back. So today's subject is about love. Well, I've talked two sermons on love in the last six weeks, so I'm not gonna do another sermon about love in particular here, but I'm gonna go a little broader and get us something to think about for Easter. Can I do that? So let's start reading in John, 1 John 4, 7 and following. And as you're turning there, one last thing. If you've ever studied the Bible in its original language, the New Testament I'm speaking of now, it was written in an ancient Greek called Koine Greek. And when you study that, and I happen to study that, I'm not a great person of languages, so do not be impressed. But when you study the Bible in its ancient uh, language, the first book you study is 1 John. It is the easiest book to study. You don't study Romans, that's a very difficult book. You don't study Matthew, that is a very difficult book in the language. This is the easiest book to read in the ancient language. And the reason is, there are technically no big words. There are no big words, you know, except one. And it's in this part, and it's the word propitiation. That's the big word in the entire book of 1 John. You go to Romans and you're stuck in all these big words and all these big concepts where John's talking about love versus hate, Christ versus Antichrist. You know, it's kind of pretty simple, right? Either you're this way or you're that way. And so, but just because it's simple to read, it doesn't mean it's simple to understand. And we need to get a little deeper. And so today we're gonna do that verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, there are no hard words there, but boy, that's a hard concept to get a hold of, isn't it? In this... "'The love of God was made manifest.'" It just happened. The word manifest means it came true among us that God sent his only son into the world. This is a reflection back to John 3.16, isn't it? "'So that we might live through him.'" In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the big word. We'll come back to that, "'For our sins.'" Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Down in verse 16, the second half of the verse. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. This is a passage about God is love. And you know, so many times... We talk about God as love, and then we immediately goes to, we go to, we need to love everyone else. But can I begin today to look at what does it really mean that God loves us? What does that really mean? What does it mean in the Bible that God loves us? Because the story of Easter is ultimately a love story. It's hard to believe it. It's a death story, but it's a love story. So today I want us to look at what does it mean that God is love. And I want you, if you're taking notes, you can take a few notes on this or you can look back later, but there are two concepts about love when we say God is love. And these two words are benevolence and pursuit. Benevolence, God gave, there's a generosity for God gave his only son, and then there's a pursuit In this passage, it says God sent his son. What did he send his son to do? To pursue us. Christ came to seek and to save those who were lost. God came through his son to come in benevolence. That's love. That's generosity. And there's a pursuit that is attached to us. Even Jesus said... His words are all pursue words, come follow me, go into all the world. There's movement that happens in this because God loves us, and because he loves us, he gave us his son, and he sent us his son. That's a simultaneous transaction, but it's a word of benevolence, and it's a word of pursuit. Now, let's look at benevolence first, because we sang about it in the last two songs. Does anybody remember what we just sang? Amazing grace. The first thing about benevolence is God's grace. Now, we talk about God's grace all the time. We sing about it. It's one of the great songs of our faith. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But do you really know what it means? It means it's the benefits of God given to us when we do not deserve them. God gives us, and we're going to talk about what some of the benefits are in a minute, but he gives us these benefits, and we do not deserve them. That's the grace of God that comes from the benevolence of God because he loves us. God loves us. He's benevolent to us. He gives us grace. And then there's things that he gives us, and I'm going to name a few of those in a few minutes. The second thing, if you remember the last song we sang, The theme of it was the mercy of God, God's grace and God's mercy. God's mercy is God withholding what we do deserve. There are some bad things that should have happened to us. We need to understand this, that God withholds from us because of his mercy, because he's benevolent to us, because he loves us. Can I just tell you, and this is not a happy thing to say, but all of us are condemned to hell. I know you're not supposed to say that in the United States of America. We're supposed to gloss over that in the church. We're supposed to be kind of mammy-pammy, wishy-washy about this, but I was on my way to hell. And one day, the grace of God came to me, and I am no longer on my way to hell because God was benevolent to me because he loved me and I can abide in him, which we'll talk about a little later, because of his benevolence and his love, because he was merciful to me. Now, his grace is giving me heaven and the good life and all these other things, giving me things I don't deserve. And that's important. And we forget, we go, oh, let's sing about the grace of God. Let's sing about the mercy of God. But there is truth behind both of those. The benefits of God that we don't deserve, he gives us. That which we do deserve, he withholds from us because he's benevolent, and he loves us. How does this come together? Let me stop for a minute. I'm getting very deep here, and I don't... You guys are like, oh, what is he saying? A few years ago, my mother-in-law died. She was a good and godly woman, a great woman. I cry every time I think of her. Just a great woman. I had a great mother-in-law. No mother-in-law jokes in my family. She was incredible. She had a massive stroke when she was in her 40s. She died in her 50s, late 50s, as the results of the ongoing of that. My father-in-law was a very quiet man, a good and godly man, and he was a great guy. Not from the United States, didn't quite get the United States. I I don't think he ever quite got the United States in kind of our new world ways. He was an old world human being, and I loved him to death. But So he didn't have a place to bury my mother-in-law because they had moved to this country and to the city. So he goes down to the cemetery, which those of you who don't know is just up two blocks to the south of us. And like our church, it's on both sides of the street. There's a west side of the cemetery and an east side of the cemetery. Well, he needed to buy some plots. So he bought a series of plots because he thought, I guess it'd be good of all of us to be together after the we all die, I guess. But so he bought like, I think, two rows of plots well, they didn't have them on the west side where he wanted. He got them on the new side, which is the east side. Well, if you don't, aren't aware, the west side is where you're allowed to have gravestones, tombstones, the vertical kind. But on the east side, the city fathers in their great wisdom, I never speak against the city of Boca, but it's really stupid. <laughs> it is. They don't allow gravestones you have to have them horizontal on the ground. So you can put anything you want as long as it's on the ground so that they can mow it easier. Like, uh, that's really important in my world. It's like, so he gets it. Well, they, we put it all in. Everything happens. It was great. We put the, the gravestone horizontal. He doesn't like it because the cross is hidden. And my father-in-law was a great believer in Jesus Christ. So my father-in-law builds a cross, Now, he knows he can't be of granite or marble, so he builds it out of wood, very strong wood. He gets some guys to build it. It's this tall. You're going to see it anywhere. And puts lilies and silks. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And he puts it on the grave in front of it. And, of course, the city calls him up and says, remove the cross. Well, my father-in-law was not a um, civil, disobedient person by nature, but he said no. I'm not taking it off. I'm not taking it off. They said, you have to take it off. No, I'm not. Yes, you do. No, I'm not. This went on for a year. He would renew the silks. It was beautiful. And we'd go. And it was just a great remembrance of my mother-in-law and her relationship to her king of kings. It was great. So the city sues my father-in-law. Now we got a great lawsuit going. And uh, it didn't deter him. And he lost. He lost. So he loses, he gets a call from an attorney up in West Palm who says, I'd like to take the case and go to the appellate court and the Supreme Court and I'll do it for free. Okay. So again, my normally non-civil disobedient father-in-law says yes. So we're going to, he asked me to join him. He says, we're going to meet the attorney for the first time up in West Palm. And so it was great. So it turned out there were four others who were also civil disobedient. And so we did a little mini class action suit against the city. It was really cool. And um, (laughs) come on. I love the city of Boca. It's the only thing I don't like besides the bad traffic is their view at the cemetery. So anyway, back to the story. We go up to West Palm to the law office. And he and I go together. And I walked into the law office, and I realized I am in the wrong place. I'm in a law office, if I could use a First John word, that is antichrist. It was amazing. Small A, not big A, small A, these, these lawyers were antichrist. They were against Christ, against Christianity, against religion, against everything. I mean, you could see it on the photos on the wall. I meet the guy. He's a very irreligious human being. It, everything's bad. And we're sitting there, and he's talking about, he's excited about this case. And so... We took a break, and everybody left. The other five, and there, you know, there was about twenty in the room, the big thing, and they all went out for to get something to drink, go to the restroom. And it was just the attorney, my father-in-law, me, and I turned to the attorney. I said, "What is going on here? Why are you supporting this man who is good and godly when you are not?" And he looked at me and he said, "If there is a God, death is when He appears." If there is a God, death is when the transaction happens. And I believe, he said, this was him speaking, I believe in freedom of religion. And the most religious place in the world is a funeral and the cemetery, because that is when the transaction, if the, he says, I don't believe there is, but you have the right to believe there is. And if there is, that's where a cross should be at the cemetery. And I thought to myself afterwards, that guy has got it right. He has got it right. He spoke the truth, though he didn't believe the truth. You see, what is about to happen in the next couple of weeks is that we are going to celebrate a death that transacts something so amazing that it gives us life. And because Jesus rose from the dead, the transaction that occurred three days later, we too shall live. That's what Easter is about. It's not about some of the other things we're going to talk about. It's not about the Garden of Gethsemane we're going to talk about. It's not about the guards. It's not about the whippings. It's not about all that is a part of it. But it's a transaction that occurs because of what Jesus did at his death. Now, what he did get wrong is the transaction doesn't have to happen at death. It actually happens at new birth. It happens when we believe in Jesus Christ. That's when the transaction happens. Most, some of the benefits of the transaction don't happen until we physically die, going on into eternity and all that. But the main part happens when you are born again. And that is the story that we have here because God loves us, is benevolent to us, gives us grace and mercy. Now let's talk about this. If you've ever traveled to Africa, one of the great things to do in Eastern Africa is to go find the big five. That's the the big five animals that you wanna see in Eastern Africa. Some of the great places, the Amazon has their five, Asia has their five. The big five in Africa is the lion, the elephant, the black rhino, the water buffalo, and the leopard. You can go and see the ostriches and the giraffes and the secretary birds and all these other incredible animals are all fantastic, but you wanna go and see the big five if you're going on a forward of journalism to the Masimari or the Serengeti or wherever. Today, I wanna to talk about the big five in the transaction that happened because God loves us and gives us grace and mercy. Can we do that? Now, there are more than five. There are some have said as many as 40 things that happen in this transaction, but I want to give you the big five that are important for us to understand as we open the door to Easter over the next six weeks. Number one, and we sang about it a few minutes ago redemption. Redemption. There is something that happens, a transaction that happens when you believe in Jesus Christ because of God's grace and mercy and the work of Jesus Christ, and it's called redemption. Let me give you the definition, it's a simple thing, it's not even a definition. It's when the person stands before God as a slave, but is granted freedom. We have moved from slavery to freedom. I hate to tell you this, the negative part of coming to church is we are enslaved by sin. We are enslaved by ourselves. We are enslaved by our own desires. We're enslaved by our own pride. We're enslaved by our own anger. You can put whatever word you want, your sin of choice, but you are enslaved by that. I know it's funny. It's not funny, but I have people here that work in the um, recovery um, area of, um, it's not an industry, I apologize for saying that word, but in the, the, the medical field of recovery, especially with substance abuse and alcohol abuse, and somebody who's suffering and working through alcohol abuse or substance abuse, you can't just say, stop. Just stop it. Now, because I do not have the issue of alcoholism in my life, I can, if you came to me and go, stop drinking, well, I don't even drink, it's easy, oh, yeah, stop, I don't even start, it's not my issue. And that's sometimes what we think. We think that we can just tell people, stop. When you're enslaved by something, it is far deeper than that. And God wants to break those shackles from us and redeem us and free us from that, and redemption does that. Now, it may take some working out of it. It doesn't happen, some of the practical applications of sin take time but the judgment of God is gone because he has redeemed us. That's number one, that's the lion of this all. The elephant of this is forgiveness. The big elephant in the middle of the room is usually, when there are problems, lack of forgiveness on a human level. I always ask people, why are you having problems with so, well, you know, they did such and such. I go, have you forgiven them? No, forgiveness is a tough one. God has forgiven us through his son, Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, you are forgiven. The person stands before God as a debtor. We have created a debt. The wages of sin is death. There is a debt that we owe, but the debt is paid in full and forgotten. This is important to understand. And I know this is something that people don't like to hear. And I remember the first time I said it when I became a pastor a couple, 12 years ago, my first Easter, I was so excited about it. And I started talking about this and people left the church. I'm thinking, what am I doing? I've only been here three months. I got here three months before Easter. I start speaking about Easter and people are leaving the church. They didn't leave the church when I got here. They left the church when I said these words. And that was this, that there are only two people that can pay for your sin. Please understand this. You or Christ. That is it. You or Christ. And if you pay your sins, you are going away from God. Hell. If Christ pays your sins, all is forgiven. That's the truth, and that's the true north. It's not the GPS. I would love to say that I could forgive all your sins for you. I would love to say that it's all forgiven. But let me tell you, sin has to be paid. It is going to be paid by one of two people. Your sin, I can't pay for your sin. I can pay for some of your sin. If you don't pay your bills, I could pay your bills for you. And I could pay a little of it. But the eternal sins that occur have to be paid for. And the choice is, are you going to pay for them yourself? Because you don't have enough in your account to pay for it. So your life will be the debt, or does Jesus Christ pay for it? And when he pays for it, it's forgiven and forgotten, and you move on. That is the beauty of the Christian message. That's why it's called what? The good news. The good news is that we are forgiven. Now, the point is, we need to start acting like it. We act like obsessed, possessed, bad people, because we don't realize that Christ has forgiven us. And because God has forgiven us through the work of Jesus Christ. Number three, the rhino, reconciliation. Now, when you think of rhinos, you don't think of reconciliation. What do you think of? An attack, right? You see those rhinos, those black rhinos coming and attacking you. The person stands before God as an enemy, but becomes a friend. We can actually become a friend of God. I know people say that's a little too personal, that's a little too close, but the reality is this, is we can have a relationship with the almighty God through his son, Jesus Christ, or we can be his enemy. This is what Easter is about. Number four, justification. What's the fourth animal? I just forgot. What's the fourth animal? The water buffalo, thank you. Can I say, anybody from Africa will tell you the most dangerous animal in Africa is the African water buffalo. It's not the big gators, it's not the lions. You can work your way around those. The water buffalo are the toughest. Justification. The person stands before God guilty and condemned. You put your name in the person, I stand before God guilty and condemned, but I have been declared righteous and innocent. Here's the beautiful thing, he wipes the slate clean. So we can't go and say, well, I I love picking on this side so many times, I love you guys, but this is where I sit over here, so I don't pick on them. (laughs) You guys are the best. (laughs) They sing the best, they pray the best, these are the best group. I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding, but you are. What is it? We come, and here's the beautiful thing. I don't care what you've done. People go, God will never forgive my sin. If you ever say, God will never forgive my sin, then what you're calling God a liar. Because there is no sin that's unforgivable. There's no sin that God will not wipe away. And using a compass, term as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west. They never come together. Your sin is thrown out in another place It says it's gone into the deepest hole in the ocean, and it's as far as the east is from the west. In other words, it doesn't matter how much you sin. You sin a lot, God's going to forgive it. You sin a little, God is going to forgive it. But please understand, we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Anybody in here listening who says, oh, I, I'm a good person, I haven't sinned, is really self-deceived. We have all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and then the wages of sin is death. So we've fallen short. The wages of that shortfall is death, except through the free gift of Christ, and he will justify us from that and give us complete innocence. So that when God looks at us, he sees purity. He sees a friend. He sees us and not just our sin because Christ has died for us. That's what the message of Christianity, or should I say of Christ, not Christianity, of Christ is. Then finally, The fifth one, which is the leopard, which is the toughest to find in most places in East Africa. And there's many times I've been there where we never saw the leopard, but there are many times I have seen the leopard. And that is the word adoption. You need to understand that we are adopted as children of God. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the person stands before God as a stranger but has made his child. This is the tough one because many of you have had parents, fathers and or mothers, that were maybe not good, bad, or even absent. And that may affect your thinking when you think of God as our father because in your mind, your father was absent. Your father was bad. Your father was negligent. Your father was ambivalent to you and or your mother. And so when you think of God, you put your parental thinking onto God. But please understand this, this God is the ultimate good father. And he has adopted us. It is such a beautiful thing. And what is an adoption? I've shared this many times, but Elizabeth and I, we're not attorneys or anything, so we're not in most adoptions. And many of you have adopted, but we had the privilege one day, we were called by members of our church who were called upon to adopt a child. They had done all the work and it just so happened that it came about and they needed two witnesses, like two angels that witnessed this whole transaction. So we run over to the Boca Hospital, we're there. It was the most incredible experience. When we entered the room, the child was one person's. And when we left the room, the child was another person's with a new name, a new social security number, and a new set of parents. We watched it, it was the most unbelievable experience, and and there was nothing we could do. We weren't a part of it, we just had to be there to show that it was done correctly, so we were there as witnesses. But here we are, and God has adopted us. Please understand, we are a child of the King if We believe in his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave and sent his son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that everlasting life is that redemption, that forgiveness, that reconciliation, um, that adoption, and that justification. And that's what it is. Now, that's part one. Part two is much shorter, but there is a pursuit that is a part of this. There is a pursuit that's there. The gospel, which is this whole story, by nature is a pursuit. God sent his son, he came to Bethlehem. He didn't stay in Bethlehem. He didn't stay just a shepherd boy or a carpenter boy or something like this. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. It is a pursuit. God is pursuing people. We need to understand this. We use very passive words in this. Well, you know, if God comes and no, God is here and God is pursuing. And the result of that is this. We as Christ followers are to be pursuers. That is the point. We are to be pursuers. Pursuers of God, that's in our vision. Pursue God. It's our number one thing we have. Pursue God, build community, engage the world. Those are kind of up here, Our, our big vision of our church is to pursue God, but we're also to pursue people. Now, here's a prayer that I have prayed many times, which can I say is a bad prayer? And you go, is there ever a bad prayer? I think there is a bad prayer. This is a bad prayer. God, will you bring somebody before me that I can share the gospel with? That is the most passive thing. The prayer should be, God, send me out and let me find people as I'm out there seeking people. Do you see there's a pursuit to it? What does the Bible say? We're gonna talk about this six weeks from now. Go, the Bible doesn't say sit and wait for people to come to your door. He says, go, the lost sheep, the shepherd went, the lost coin, the lady went. We've gotta go, don't we? because there's a pursuit attached to this. So, God pursues us, and we are to pursue others. Now Our time is up. How does this all come together? How does this all work? The story of Easter is the story of God loving us and his benevolence, and his pursuit of us. It's the story of God giving us his grace. It's the story of God giving us his mercy. It's the story of when we believe, that's what we do. Our part is to believe in him, to trust in him, to receive him, to accept this, and to understand it. And when that happens, the reconciliation, the redemption, the justification, the forgiveness, and the adoption comes. That's the pursuit of God to us. And then we are to be out pursuing others. We have been told in this country, don't pursue anyone. We've been told, if you want to be a Christ follower, go to your church and your Bible studies and your Christian ghettos and do it. But when you get out back outside, don't do it. And can I say, go out and do it. Go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. And it's just amazing. This whole Ukraine thing may bring a revival in this world. It may just bring a revival. I was amazed reading the paper yesterday and just some of the executives of large corporations that we all go, oh, they're bad people. One of them was in church when they got the call from the president of Ukraine. And they put it in the front page of the Wall Street Journal that this person was in church praying when he gets a call and he gets beeped, he's praying, he gets beeped at the president of Ukraine. And they put his name and his company, one of the largest companies in the world, and he's in church. That would never have happened four weeks ago. I would have never known that this person had been in church praying and he gets a call from the president of Ukraine. There's a revival that's going to happen in this world and it may be because of what this nasty man in Moscow has done. I'm not sure. We don't know where it's coming from, but there's a revival going on in Eastern Europe right now. There are people that are coming to Christ and acting Christianly and acting like Christ follower. And there are people all over the world that are doing it. And maybe this is, we've been praying for a revival. Maybe this is the beginning of it around the world. And I say, my friends, you need to be a part of it. We all need to be a part of it. So as you're here today, and we close, Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him? God's love is up here, but you may be over here. Like, there's God's love over there. And some of his love spills out to everyone. I get that. But the salvation of your soul, that point that that man said, that attorney said, was, are you ready? to meet the creator. He didn't even believe in a creator. And he said, some point there's going to be a meeting. Are you ready to meet your creator? And I would say this, now is the time to do it. Don't wait till later. Now is the time. Let's pray together.